Well, as we continue in our series in Encountering Jesus in the book of Luke, it would be great if you could have that reading open from Luke chapter 6 as we go through it together. And also so you can check that what I'm saying is correct. So let's pray and ask God to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and we thank you so much for your word that you have made yourself known to us. And so we pray that as we open up this chapter, this passage, that you'll make yourself known to us, reveal yourself to us, speak to us, that we may know you more, that we may love you more dearly and serve you all the rest of our lives. In your name, amen. Uh, Because in the past life I was a barista and now I'm a bit of a bike rider, I usually now wake up quite early. But sometimes the night before, sleep just doesn't come all that easily. So I'll wake up at about 2 a.m. and I'll think to myself, oh, I really need to get to sleep now. But then sleep doesn't come and then it's 2.30 and then I think, oh, I really need to get to sleep now. Then sleep doesn't come and then yet again I find myself at 3 a.m. thinking, I really, really need to get to sleep now. I get so concerned about and stressed out about sleeping that I never actually get to sleep. I got so worked up and concerned about resting that I never actually rested. Well, this is kind of like what was happening with the Sabbath in Jesus' time. There are all these different rules and regulations that were set up by the religious leaders so that people wouldn't break the rest that was the Sabbath. So much so that it became a burden on people rather than being the gracious, restorative gift that it was supposed to be. Uh, The leaders became so obsessed with it that it became oppressive. But in today's passage, Jesus cuts through all of this. This is what we'll see today, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that he is the one who has authority over it, And it's completely in him that we will find our Sabbath rest. So we'll see that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, that Jesus is tender and compassionate. So firstly, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, What is the Sabbath then? Well, it's the day of the week which was prescribed and commanded by the Lord for his people not to do work on. Right back in Exodus chapter 20, uh, Israel were in the wilderness after escaping from Egypt God gives them the Ten Commandments. Uh, These were the laws that were laid out for them to live as God's holy people, to be his light in the world, to reflect his goodness in the world. And the fourth commandment, and the one with the greatest explanation, is this from Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On the seventh day, all the Israelite community were to rest. Every person, slave or free, every guest, even the animals, got a day off to stop and rest. And this has been ingrained in the very creation of the world. Genesis describes how God created the heavens and the earth in six days and then rested on the seventh day. And not because he was exhausted, but so that he could enjoy his creation. And it's on this basis 
that God commands his people to do the same. To rest from work, to enjoy creation, to enjoy being in a relationship with the Creator, and to know that he is in control and he doesn't need us working for him 24-7. And then to get ready for all the work that is in store ahead. This was to be one of the markers of the Israelite community. One of them was circumcision, the other one was keeping the Sabbath. But before we move on, this just shows the character and nature of our God, doesn't it? That he knows that we are a creation. That we are, in, that we are finite. That we get tired. That we need rest. So he commands us to do so. Uh, not just the upper class, not just the slaves, but that everybody in the nation would stop and enjoy the rest and look for the ultimate rest that is to come. But fast forward a few thousand years to the first century where Jesus is, and we realize that things aren't quite right. Uh, various Jewish sects and, and, and writings tried to define to the uttermost what work was, so much so, so that they wouldn't break the Sabbath. So this is what they did. They put a fence around the law. That is, they created extra laws around the original laws so that you wouldn't get close to breaking the first laws. Uh, imagine if somebody was to come up with a law that you aren't allowed to have more than four coffees a day. But then somebody said, oh, we don't want to break that rule, so let's just say you can't have more than two coffees a day. An extra law to protect us from breaking the original law which I shudder to even think about. So one of the writings set out uh, about 39 different classes of work that ranged from ploughing and hunting all the way to sewing more than one stitch or tying and loosening knots. So if your shoes aren't tied on the Sabbath, bad luck. And the reason behind this was actually the importance of the Sabbath. Uh, they thought that disobeying this law in particular would bring the nation to ruins. Uh, some of them believed that the Sabbath disobedience led them to being under their current state of being under Roman rule back in the first century. But in elevating this law so much, well, it became a burden on people. Uh, just imagine being an Israelite in, in these times and on the Sabbath and seeing something that needed to get done, or I really need to wipe that bench, or can I do this? Is it Okay. What, my, what will my local rabbi say? So instead of the Sabbath being restful, as it was designed to be, it became almost legalistically oppressive. So then, on this important day, Jesus and his disciples go for a walk, and look with me from 6 verse 1, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. But the Pharisees were there. The Pharisees saw them and accused them of doing work on the Sabbath. They were being blamed for harvesting the corn or the grain or, or the wheat. Uh, the religious leaders, who weren't already that happy with Jesus, may have found a way to accuse him. So how does Jesus respond? Uh, not with any excuse, not with a technical argument about the Hebrew of the law, but with a story. 
Look with me from verse 3. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. So, a bit of a history lesson. Uh, David was the king at the highest point of Israel. People were longing to go back to the golden days of David when everything was great. But before he was king, David was fleeing King Saul, and he and his companions were hungry. They needed food for their mission, and the only food that was there for them to eat at that time was bread that was set apart especially for only the priests to eat. But what happened? Well, the law was set aside for David and his friends to be able to eat and be safe. Fast forward to Jesus. There is someone and something which is so much greater than Jesus here. This is the greater king in the line of David. This is the anointed one, the ultimate Messiah, the bridegroom himself, Jesus. So then if the law was set aside for the amazing King David... How much more can it be set aside for the one who David points to? Yes, Jesus came under the law and became human, as we saw in chapter 2 when he went under all those rituals. But he's also in authority over it. He's the Lord over everything. Because he is God. He is the one who was there at the creation of the heavens and the earth where he rested on the seventh day. He's the one who declared that the seventh day should be kept holy for his people. He is the one who, in verse 5, says, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, in referring to himself, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus sets the rules and terms for the Sabbath. Not human beings, not religious leaders, not even you and me. Jesus does. So then if we want to rest, and if we want to rest well, it won't be found in legalism or religiosity, but in a person, in Jesus. People do all sorts of things to try and find rest. Perhaps work really hard, do overtime, save up for another holiday, uh, maybe change careers to find a better rhythm of life. Uh, Not that there's anything bad with these things. They'll probably provide some temporary relief, some great enjoyment and happy memories. But once the rubber hits the road and get back to the grind, we'll soon realise that we want that rest again, don't we? See, no amount of rule following will give us that rest. But only Jesus can give us this rest, even in the most unrestful of times. He is the Lord of all. He is the King of kings. He rules the world. He has saved us from this darkness of this world to live in his peace and light right now and into eternity. So perhaps... Your household over the past few weeks as school goes back hasn't felt all that restful right now. Well, Jesus is with you 
and the one who is Lord. Perhaps works just seems uh, relentless and overwhelming. Well, Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath, is with you and is Lord. Maybe the thought of another week of medical appointments, meeting, prescriptions, or just another week of existence makes you feel worn out and tired. Well, Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, is with you and is in control. We can look to him and rely on him and depend on him because he is Lord and because he is the kind, tender, compassionate and loving Lord. So next up, Luke takes us to another Sabbath. This time we are in the synagogue and we are introduced to three different characters. Uh, There's Jesus there who is teaching. There was a man with a withered hand who was there. And lastly, the Pharisees were also there. Uh, But we're told something extra about the Pharisees. Look at me from verse 7. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Uh, Earlier this year, we had the Australian Open tennis tournament. Uh, But because of COVID these days, uh, these people weren't on the field. Uh, But usually there would be umpires at each end, at each line, watching closely to see if the ball was out or in. Every point they would crouch down in their booths to get the best view. Uh, They aren't allowed to touch the ball or do anything else. They have one sole purpose to determine whether the ball was out or in. Well, the Pharisees are being kind of like these umpires. They are watching Jesus closely to see if he is out or in, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath or not. They weren't looking to see if Jesus was the Messiah. They weren't sitting at his feet listening to his teaching. No, they were set on determining his fate. And Jesus knows this. He knows their heart. He knows their intent. So what does he do? Well, he tells the man with the injured hand to come up and stand in front of everyone. Come on down, right in public view of everyone, down onto the platform, live streamed for everybody to see. Okay, maybe not live streamed. But Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking, but doesn't hide away from them. He doesn't take the man into a back corner or just say, just hold on, I'll catch up with you later. He brings him out right into the forefront on the Sabbath day. Now, before we continue, let's just have a think about this man. He has a dried up, injured right hand. Uh, This could have been an ailment that stopped him from being employed from participating in social gatherings and social groups. Uh, The right hand had a dominant role in the ancient world. So to fix it up would have been life-changing. But on the other hand, the ex-Jewish teaching about the Sabbath says that it didn't allow people to straighten a deformed body or set a broken limb. You can do emergency First aid, but, well, nothing else. So Jesus is in the middle with this man. The Pharisee's eyes fixed on him. 
Jesus says in verse 9, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Crickets. No response. But for Jesus, helping people and having compassion on people can't wait a day. It can't be put off. In fact, having indifference towards or procrastinating from helping others in need, Jesus calls out as evil and destroying life. Hiding behind a law to, help, uh, to avoid helping people isn't on. Making excuses to avoid correcting injustice when we are able to is not. There's no sitting on the fence. So on this backdrop, the Pharisees were looking for an opportunity to accuse Jesus, while Jesus was looking for an opportunity to show grace. The Pharisees weren't concerned about the needs of the man, but we're concerned about the threat that Jesus apparently posed. So, verse 10, what does Jesus do? He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's not skip over this fact. The man was completely, utterly restored. Completely healed. Just by Jesus saying a word. Jesus has authority not just over the Sabbath, but over sickness and diseases. He didn't touch the man, but he simply spoke. But not all was well. How did the Pharisees respond? Well, they should have really responded with awe and wonder and astounded at Jesus. Uh, he just healed this man with his word, without touching him, without any incantations, without any medicine, but just by speaking. But the Pharisees had hard hearts, and they became blinded with anger. Uh, when it comes to driving, people say that you should never drive while you're angry because all sensibilities go out the window. And in my survey of N equals 1, where N equals myself, I can verify this when somebody pulls out in front of me or I'm stuck behind a slow car on a one-way lane. I may get a little frustrated. But the Pharisees were blinded not just with a little kind of anger, but with a much Greater anger. They were furious. The Greek word literally means to have anger to the point of having no understanding. Why? Well, we aren't told precisely on this occasion, but the reasons have been compounding for them. So far in his ministry, Jesus had claimed to be the anointed one in Isaiah. Uh, he had healed on the Sabbath a couple of times. He had touched a leper. He had a large dinner with tax collectors and other sinners, and he had presumed to forgive sins. He didn't fit their mold. 
he was provocative. He was being, just as Simeon prophesied in in chapter 2, as we saw at the beginning of the series, a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So what do we see about the hearts of the Pharisees? Well, they were proud, jealous, insensitive, legalistic, and hard. They wanted things their own way. They wanted to make God in their own image. They wanted a different type of Messiah. They didn't care about injustice. They cared about themselves. But on the other hand, Jesus' heart is being revealed as soft, tender, compassionate, He wanted things God's way. He laid down his own comfort, his own preferences, his own will for the Father's will. He didn't care about himself, but he cared for people like you and me. As we'll see, this difference will only grow and grow and grow until it leads the leaders to crucify Jesus and Jesus to submit to it because of his love and compassion. See, he went to the cross to rescue us and redeem us from our unrestful, sinful state and our bondage to death and decay. And then he rose again victorious to put death to death. So this means that we can be free to rest. We can be free from oppressive law following, free from complicated debt calculating, and free from messy animal sacrificing. We can be free to rest in the love and compassion of our tender and gracious God. And how can we do this? Well, we can drop our pride soften our hearts and once again run to him. It's by faith that we can enter into this rest, not by our works. And when we encounter Jesus and turn to him, we find the one who is gracious and kind, slow to anger, abounding in love, quick to forget our sins. So then as we think about the week ahead, think about where will you be this time tomorrow? What situation will you be in? It may be restful. It may not be restful. But wherever we are, Whatever situation we may find ourselves in, we can take it to the Lord in prayer, rely totally and utterly on Him, and know that we can rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. Rest in His loving arms.
So let's ask him to help us with this. Our loving Father, how we thank you so much that you are the amazing, awesome, holy God and yet you are mindful of people like us. People who constantly turn our own way. People who are weak, finite, and need rest. So, Heavenly Father, help us to remember that we need rest and help us to remember that we can't do this by ourselves, but that we need you. Whatever our circumstances this week and all our lives, help us continually to drop our pride and come to you in weakness, knowing that you have redeemed us, you have saved us, you have forgiven us, and that you will take us home to be with you in our ultimate eternal Sabbath rest with you. And so we pray this in your name. Amen.